Peter in chapter 1 as we continue in the study through the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is a really special book. It's a book that Peter wrote shortly before he would be martyred. And um, you get the sense, and you'll see in the verses we look at today, that Peter is aware of the fact that it was time for him to give people the things that mattered most, to give the wisdom of someone who has been through life and now looking back and reflecting says, this is what matters. These are the important things. And so last week, and I think, boy, I had a lot of reaction and a lot of people who wanted to discuss some of what we talked about last week. And, and it was really in the first half of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter uses the metaphor of the dance in order to describe how we smooth out and deal with the transitions of life in dealing with the qualities that are to be reflective of our life, beginning the first step with the, the step of faith and winding down through all of those qualities to the culmination in love and then creating that circle of gracefulness and graciousness and transition that becomes what life is supposed to look like, something that works, something that moves smoothly. And, and uh, I had several people. The, the reason why it was unusual probably is that you don't see the English word dance in the passage. And, you know, you have to take my word for it that the word add there is actually the Greek word that means to intensely lead a dance. And he uses the same word in verse 11 that's translated supplied. But uh, I had people today come up or this week come up and say, yeah, the Greek word epikorageo, you're right, I looked it up, you're right. And I say, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but but uh, if you didn't hear that message, if you weren't here last week, and you know I rarely say this, but I would really encourage you to get it because I just think this passage of Scripture is critical. It describes the beauty and elegance of Christian growth. And so if you, if you miss that message... Um, get, go ahead and pick that CD or DVD up. But Peter is now continuing in that vein and in those thoughts. And the rest of the chapter here is a way of him putting an exclamation point on what he had just described. But if there's something that he just wants to, to shout out to people, it seems to be at this point, do you understand that this is real? This is not a fantasy. This isn't just a religion. This, this isn't just nice ideas. Peter wants to say, what I'm talking about is this actually works in real life. This is where there's this incredible intersection of revelation from God and human experience in making application of the revelation in a way that it actually works. That the Christian life isn't just a life that holds to the right views. It isn't just a life that is educated in, in theology. But it's a life whereby when you see that life lived out, it really works. It's, a, it's this beautiful expression of life that others can watch and admire as we smoothly deal with the transitions of life and and 
culminate ultimately at the gates of heaven and in the glory of God. And I think that Peter, with the sense of his own demise, was now in this book boiling down everything that he had learned through the amazing experiences that he had had. Imagine a guy who was a fisherman, a working class guy, all of a sudden this teacher comes up and says, follow me, and he does. And he lives with him for three years, and here's his teachings. And quite often Peter would blunder and do goofy things, and his, his tendency to want to speak, went to fill the silence, was apparent throughout the Gospels. And then as Jesus died, as Peter had denied him, and then having him raised from the dead and spend 40 days with him alive and, and being personally mentored still by Jesus as Jesus you know, encouraged him in feeding his sheep, but also warned him that he would be martyred. And, and then for Peter to be the guy that gets the nod in Acts chapter 2 to preach the first sermon in which 3,000 people were saved, Peter had lived quite a life. And then to go on and be involved in leadership and in missions and so many great things that he had seen in his life, and now it's almost over. And so he was, in a sense, carving out his legacy by what he was defining in this little short book, his last book. Second Peter is very similar to Second Timothy, Paul's last book. In fact, when you read both books side by side, it's amazing how similar they are in so many ways. Um, it's where when you come to the end of your life, there are a lot of things that used to matter that don't really seem to matter anymore. But someone who lives their life well, at the end, have a sense of what lasts, what's permanent, what were the most important things. It's one of the reasons why I love talking to people who are older than I am. Because one of the gifts of age is that you tend to start to forget a lot of things. And yet what you remember are the things that often really matter. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's not true in every case. <laughs> but in general, we see that happen. And so Peter here is just saying, what I've just described for you as this dance of life, what I am laying out for you in terms of what matters, this is what I want to carry on as a legacy. And he, he goes ahead and lays that out here. But let's begin with verse 12. He says, for this reason, because of this, this progression of growth that culminates in, in waltzing into the presence of God, for this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. He goes, you know, I know I sound like a broken record because I just keep saying the same things, but you know them and you're established in the present truth. So you know, and that word for present truth means the truth that is, is nearby right now. He says, you, there are certain things that you know and you're growing in those things, but I am going to keep reminding you of what matters most. And then he says, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, referring to his body as a place you camp out in, but it's not permanent. 
to stir you up by reminding you. The word for stir you up there doesn't mean like stirring a pot. It's a word that means to wake someone. You know how they say, you, you know, you stir someone from sleep. You, you kind of move them around so that they wake up. He says, I'm, I'm waking you up here and um, reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me or literally revealed to me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. The word there, decease, isn't the word that means to die. It's the Greek word exodus. He says, I'm leaving. (laughs) And I want to make sure that I leave something with you that will remind you of these things. Peter knew that he was going to die for his faith. Jesus had revealed that to him. There in the end of the Gospel of John, we see the story where Jesus was talking to Peter there on the Sea of Galilee and, and asking him if he loved him and telling him that he wants him to take care of his sheep. And, and then he, he says, and by the way, uh, there's going to be a day when you're going to be taken by others where you don't want to go and you'll be, you'll be sacrificed, you'll be, you'll be crucified yourself. And in fact, that was fulfilled. And when Peter was crucified, he just requested that he would be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he deserved to die the way his Lord had. So when Peter first heard that, it wasn't great news. Jesus is like, do you love me? And next thing you know, he's going, and you're, well, good, you're going to be killed for testifying of me. And Peter's first thing was, well, okay, I deserve that, but what about John? <laughs> and uh, Jesus said, don't you worry about John. I'm dealing with you. I'm talking about you. So now Peter is reflecting back on that and saying, I knew that the day would come when my dance would end with death. When, when my adventure, when my living my life out, my faith was going to cost me my life. But he said, I'm not tripping out on that. I'm not worrying about that. I don't want you to feel sorry for me about that. He says, the things I'm telling you right here in Second Peter are things that I want to leave with you so that after I'm gone, I want you to hear this again and again, and I want you to understand this matters. This is important. Now, later in chapter 2, he spends the whole chapter talking about false teachers And so he has in the back of his mind the fact that there are a whole lot of alternatives to legitimate faith. And he's wanting to say, this is what reality looks like. This is what the real deal is. This is what a a walk with God is really all about. So for Peter, he doesn't have a bucket list of things that he wants to do before he kicks the bucket. What he has is a legacy that he lays down whereby he says, this is what I want you to remember after I'm gone. And it's exactly what I'm describing to you as the way life is to be lived. Now, in the middle of this, you can't help but escape the, just the, the touching nature of someone who, imagine if there's someone who you really loved and you really admired, and they were about to die, and they said, I want to see you because there's something I want to share with you before I go. Now, 
whatever that thing was, you'd want to hear it. And you would think, I wonder what someone thinks, someone I admire thinks is the most important thing for me to share with them right now. And you would probably hang on to those last words. You would want to record them. Oh, can we get a videotape? This is something I want to share. Very often when I have the privilege of doing someone's funeral, it's after having had some good conversations with the person and being able to share with others who are there who love them to say, by the way, here's what they wanted me to say that was most important to them. Here's what they wanted their legacy to be, in a sense. And so Peter is doing that sort of thing, and it's really powerful in the midst of all he's discussing. But, he says, uh, verse 16, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Actually, cunningly devised is just sophos, it's the word for wise, And fables is muthos in the Greek, it's myths. He said, what this was about is not just wise myths. It's not just fairy tales. That's not what our faith is about. Because he says, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty... He said, when we talk to you about God's power, and when we talk to you about Jesus returning, the promise of his return, we're not just making up cute little stories that kind of seem real. We're not just spiritualizing things to where we're just going, well, yeah, it's almost as if he's returned. It's almost like he's set up a kingdom. It's almost like you can feel him here, just like when you... Go to Washington, you can just feel George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and, and uh, you know, all these people. He's going, no, this isn't, do you understand this? Look, I'm about to leave and I'm telling you, this is real. This isn't fairy tales we're talking about. And he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he reminds him of a story that he would never forget. <laughs> the Mount of Transfiguration. For he, verse 17, received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven where we were with him on the holy mountain. In the Gospels it tells this story in all the Gospels of Jesus taking a few of his disciples up into a high mountain, probably way down in the southern part of Israel, and going up into that mountain, and as he was praying, all of a sudden Jesus began to shine and glow in this amazing sight, and there's Moses and Elijah standing there with him. And the three of them were talking about what Jesus was about to do by going and dying and rising from the dead. And this thing was, the scene was going on and the disciples like, whoa, woke up and saw this happening. And, and of course, Peter was the one who had spoken up and said, uh, Jesus, we should build three little monuments here for you and Moses and Elijah. What he was saying was, there's three really great men here. Moses, the patriarch, the the one who represents the law, and here Elijah, the great prophet that represents 
you know, all of the prophets and, and, and Jesus, you're, you're right there with them, buddy. And, <laughs> you know, and, and when, when Peter had made that suggestion, God had had enough and he made Moses and Elijah disappear and all they saw was Jesus and they heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. And the idea was, this is about Jesus, this is not about Moses and Elijah. This is not about a collective assembly of great religious figures. There is one who stands alone, and that's Jesus. And it's interesting now, as Peter tells the story, he doesn't talk about, and yeah, Moses and Elijah were there too. He didn't even care about Moses and Elijah. He said, we saw Jesus glorified, we heard the voice come from heaven. We are eyewitnesses of this. I'm telling you, this is true. And he said, so, verse 19, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What Peter is saying here is, in this case, the prophecy of the coming Messiah, the prophecy of a kingdom that he would rule and reign from, all of that dovetailed and met together, intersected with what I actually saw and actually heard. Now, prophecy, in order to be true, does not have to be confirmed. But confirmation to prophecy gives it credibility to people who, for whom the prophecy has been directed. And so for Peter, he knew what the prophets had said, you know, which Elijah represented. He knew what the law said, what Moses had represented. But one day on that mountain, it all met with something that he had seen personally. And that gave him the spark that ultimately caused him to devote his life to sharing that gospel. And in fact, nothing's more credible than if someone's willing to die for it. And he was just letting them know. That's, I mean, nobody would be killing me if I just said, this is just a philosophical, warm-feeling, mythological kind. No, nobody, nobody would kill anybody for believing that. But he's saying, no, I've actually seen this. Now, over in uh, the book of Acts, as we're studying on Wednesday nights, Peter's first sermon is real telling. Because everything that he wants to say is, look, what you are seeing right now is consistent with that which had been prophesied in God's word. And as Luke shares in the first chapter of Acts, that, that you know, there were these many infallible proofs of the resurrection. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, spent 40 days hanging out with people. From the various accounts, we know of at least 10 places where he showed up. And in 1 Corinthians 15, amazingly, <clears throat> Paul refers to one time when Jesus spoke to a crowd of over 500 people, and Paul said, most of them are still alive today. Ask them yourself. See, the message was not a an ethereal, mystical, kind of spooky message. 
This was a message that was, no, we saw this. This really happened. This really works. And yet it's amazing when the revelation from God meets experience of people and we realize this isn't just another religion. This isn't just something that's kind of warms our hearts and gives us a reason to get together and celebrate an imaginary God. No, that's other religions. Peter's going, I'm telling you, man, this is different. This is something that I saw it and I am a witness to it. And, you know, this idea of prophecy and experience, revelation and experience, um, sometimes this becomes problematic because there are some people who just want their whole life to be about the revelation. And so they think, if I just learn enough, then I'm good to go. There are other people who live their life just based on experience, pragmatics. What works? How is this happening for me? What is it that I sense, that I you know, am realizing? And so often, even in the church, you have this dichotomy of people who are either just living in revelation or just living in experience. But as Peter talks about here, with the prophetic word being confirmed, and this is why he was so convinced of this, he is saying, I can trust what God says because it actually works in my life. I've seen what he has done. I wonder how many of us have even bothered leaving a legacy even bothered recording in some way as our lives are unfolding, putting together something for someone after we're gone where we can say, look, here's what I know. Here's what life has taught me. Here is what I personally have experienced from believing in God's word and obeying it, um, communicating that to, to the next generation or to other people. That's really what a testimony is. That's really what witnessing should be. Now, again, there are two ways that people tend to go in witnessing to others. One of them is, just tell them what the Bible says. Look, do you know, here's the Ten Commandments, you've broken them, you need to repent. And that's all true. Other people just want to go, look, here's what I feel, here's what my life is, all I know is I love Jesus, that's fine too. But the real power is when we are able to communicate with those we care about and with those we encounter in life. Here's what God has said, and here's how that's working for me. Here's what he has done in my life. So to tell those stories over and over again, like Peter said he did, of let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what I witnessed. Let me tell you about the transformation that was there. And here's where it connected with what God said. It is not just about information. It is not just about knowledge. Some of the most knowledgeable people, when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to what God has said, have never figured out, even in a, the most rudimentary way, how to live a Christian life that demonstrates an experience that validates the prophecy. In fact, 
some great communicators of God's Word have proven to be examples of people who don't have a clue about how to live life. Their life looks like anything but this smooth dance of growth and everything that Peter has just been describing. And in fact, what happens is you look at someone's life and you make a decision on whether or not you really want to listen to what they have to say. And that's what Peter's trying to get across here is, no, this is, this is real. It's worth dying for, but it's also worth living for. And I've seen it. I can tell you personally, firsthand, I know what God has done in my life. And that can't happen without the revelation. Can't happen without the word of God. But when people decide that all they want to do is harp on what God says, and they don't bother living what that word actually tells us to do, then you end up with a faith that has no credibility. In fact, you'll scare people away. I, one of my favorite quotes from Tozer, and uh, A.W. Tozer, Aiden Tozer, was a guy who was very quotable. But one of the things that he said that haunts me almost every day of my life is he said, if people can tell a lie and make it sound like truth, they're dangerous. But even more dangerous are people who can tell the truth and make it sound like a lie. Now, for me, what that means is, if I say the right things, but my life falls on its face and I flop and I don't really do it, I just talk about it, I'm actually doing damage to the revelation. I am disconfirming the prophecy. It's one of the reasons why I've really felt so burdened in our church to encourage people to actually apply what we teach in their lives. And, and, and in, a, in a home fellowship situation, that's a perfect opportunity to do that, to take what we learn and now to go and live it. Because if we don't do that, then all we are is a school that gives a bunch of information. All we are is, yeah, I, I know people who have practically memorized the whole Bible, and yet you look at their life and it's clumsy and klutzy and off balance and weird and nobody would ever want to be like them. And do you understand, if you're out there preaching truth and then you're living hypocritically, you're doing disservice to the truth. And so we have to take the time to apply that which we learn. And that was what Peter, as, as a guy who was getting on and getting close to his death, He's wanting to say, you guys, I, I want you to even hear my voice after I'm gone telling you that prophecy needs to be confirmed, that life needs to reflect revelation and truth. And boy, is that important for us to hear and to know. It's so dangerous when we get information and we think that's what it's all about. And this is why, again, one reason why I scaled back most of our Bible studies and said, you know what, get in a home fellowship. Get with people you're accountable to that you can love and care for. And a lot of people were upset about that. And I understood that they would be. Because we've been so indoctrinated in the idea that if we just study the Bible every day and learn and learn and learn and learn, then somehow we'll go to heaven really smart people and that's a good thing. But, you know, I started thinking about and praying about people who I knew who were exposed to Bible study constantly, and in fact, 
confronted with the reality that sometimes some of the most involved people in the church are people who are the most messed up in terms of living their lives in a way that anyone would ever want to emulate it. And I just thought, you know what? Maybe what we need to do is to find a balance of let people realize, no, the Christian life is to be lived. It's not just to be slammed through. It's not just to be poured into our heads. That's where Peter's coming from here. And so he says, you know, we heard this voice. The prophetic word was confirmed. And then in verse 19, again, he said, you would do well to heed as a light. The word there for light is a, talking about a small light. We would say flashlight. For them, it would be a little torch or a, most likely a candle that shines in a dark place. That is a place that's it's hard to see, kind of like life. Until the day dawns, the sun comes up, and the morning star, the Greek word there is the phosphorus, the light bearer, rises in your hearts. He said, right now things are dark. You're a little clumsy. You don't know. God's revelation is progressive to each of us individually. Remember back in verse 12, he had talked about the present truth. And the idea there is you have a piece of it right now. And now what he's saying is take that little spark, take that little flashlight, take what you know and what what resonates with you as being, this is real. And he said, follow that, because more light will come. The source of that light will ultimately lead you to a day when glory happens, and you're like, I don't know if you've ever seen phosphorus, but that's what he refers to here. Phosphorus is an amazing element. Um, when you expose it to, to the air, even, it can burn. It'll just start burning. They usually store it in water. I know red phosphorus they do. I, I, I know about phosphorus because I got kicked out of high school my senior year because some phosphorus was missing from the chemistry lab and somehow somebody must have left it with me. And, <laughs> but you can do really interesting things with phosphorus because it burns brightly and intensely. Years later, I, on the internet, I ordered something called a NATO perimeter alarm that sounded fun. And what it actually was, a big tube, and well, one night at, out in the parking lot at, Cal, at a church nearby, um, <laughs> I brought that thing out on 4th of July, pulled the ring, and this thing shot up like a thousand feet in the air, and then it opens up in a little parachute and starts slowly floating down and a big piece of phosphorus was burning and it literally makes the nighttime look like daytime it was just whoa and the first thing was whoa then it was like this is cool i can see everything and then it was like the wind is carrying that thing right towards the logos building and but <laughs> what he's saying is nothing burned it landed on the parking structure but it was a moment of excitement. <laughs> but what, he, what he's saying is, what God has for you ultimately is going to light up the dark. It's going to explode like phosphorus. But right now, what you have is a little flashlight. He goes, take heed to the flashlight. Take heed to what you know. Go with what you know is real. Don't obsess on what you don't know. 
And don't worry about the dark that is still dark. Focus your attention on what you know and live that. So often, I want to know more. And sometimes I don't like what I do know. And I'll be reading in the scriptures, and like this happens to me many days where I always read through a chapter of Proverbs that corresponds with the day of the month. And as I'm reading it, there's a scripture that's exactly what I needed to know today because it just really nails me on something that affects the way I live my life. And sometimes I look at that and I just go, I'm glad tomorrow is a different proverb because I want to get over this one. This is bothering me. And, you know, it's interesting when we read the scriptures or when we hear a Bible study, um, sometimes what's shared is exactly what we need. Like a light clicks on for us. And other times it doesn't. And we shouldn't get discouraged because that doesn't happen every time. Every one of us just has a present truth. Every one of us just has certain things that we get. And right now we are in the dark with a little light. But it's so important that when that connection is made, that we go with it. That we go, wow, this one hit me and I'm going to go with it. As I was in the office after first service, and you know the first service is live on the radio, and last week the phones were ringing off the hooks, and this week nobody was calling. And I was like, you know, you can't win them all. That's just the way life is. I mean, so uh, I'm trying to lower your expectations for today. This doesn't get any better, really. But, <laughs> but what Peter is saying is there's a spark. There's a light. There's something that God is showing you. Pay attention to that light. Go with that. Where it leads to is amazing. In the same way that last week as we see these dance steps, when, when you're learning the dance step of self-control and denying your flesh, or you've slid into that perseverance where it's like, okay, just wait, wait, wait. That's difficult. But you end up in heaven. You end up waltzing into the kingdom of God. That's a great thing. We know how the story ends. John talked about in 1 John, he said, you know, now we are the sons of God, the children of God, but it hasn't yet appeared what we're going to be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. What John was saying was, I know it doesn't look like much right now, but I'm telling you, what God is doing in your life and where you're going is amazing and it's glorious. And that's the same thing that Peter's saying. Don't get discouraged. Deal with what you know now. Deal with what you see now. If in the, the, the simplest way possible, there's something in the scripture that we go through that you go, wow, that's for me. Then do something about that. If you look at the discussion questions for this week for the home fellowships, you know, we delve into a couple of these areas and maybe one of those might be an activity that you might just want to do. And I, one of the things that I put in the discussion questions was, if you were just going to write down a few things that you, if you were going to leave this earth, you'd want to leave this for people you love. What are the most important lessons that you've ever learned that you would want to put down to say, don't forget this. And what a, what a great activity that could be. It might be that as you begin to work on an activity like that, 
God's just going to light you up with all kinds of other things. But if you're not willing to apply the light that you have, there's not going to be a lot more light necessarily that's going to come forth. And what happens when you don't allow experience to intersect revelation, we'll see next week in chapter 2. You end up with false teaching. You end up with make up your own religion and you'll follow almost anything. It doesn't work, but that doesn't matter because it's very convincing. Now, he goes on and says, um, knowing this first, he says, here's a preliminary. This is going to have to be last because we're already out of time. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, this scripture has been misunderstood by a lot of people. Um, I hear it probably quoted out of context or ignorantly quite often. Um, The word here for interpretation isn't the word that we would normally use for interpretation. The Greek word for interpret, uh, hermeneuo, from which we get the word hermeneutics, means to look at the scripture, figure out what it means, and kind of lay it out. Um, the word that's used here is a word that means to untangle something. And, and the word for private is a great Greek word that I know you'll remember, um, idios, <laughs> from which we get the word idiocy. It's like you live in your own world. Now, there are people who have used this scripture to say that you shouldn't study the Bible for yourself because it's not a private interpretation. In other words, you need the whole church and the experts in order to tell you what it means. You don't need to find it for yourself. He's not talking about that. He's talking about where the scriptures came from and, and where the whole nature of the spiritual life came from. And he says this was not made up or worked out or figured out or invented By idiots, this is something that God gave, as you see as we go on. But he said, understand this, Scripture is not something you make up. And the Christian life is not something that you fake. The Christian life is not something that you like pretend and fake it until you make it. No, if it's the Word of God and you're understanding it correctly, you can take him at his word and obey his word, and it actually works. Things happen. And so he's saying, from the time the scriptures were, were written, and I think that Peter had a sense that he was writing scripture as he wrote. Later in the book, he talks about some of Paul's writings and describes them as scripture. But he said, you know, and chapter two is going to be about all the idiots who made up their own religion. But He says, no, Scripture isn't that way, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy or special men of God spoke as they were moved, that word means as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, what he's saying is, and by the way, it's interesting that in his last book, he wanted to emphasize the inspiration of Scripture, that those who wrote Scripture were actually being carried by the Holy Spirit. And Paul, in his swan song in 2 Timothy chapter 3, talks about the fact that all Scripture was God-breathed. Paul saw it and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Paul saw it as being God was breathing through the writers of Scripture. 
Peter saw it as God was carrying the writers of Scripture. Now, continuing in the metaphor of the dance, little girls often learn to dance by standing on their dad's feet. And as dad dances, the little girl goes along for the ride. And I, I think that this is a beautiful picture of whether standing on the feet or just holding them up and waltzing them around. He's saying, when the scriptures were created, it was the Holy Spirit that was carrying them, that was bearing them along. And he goes, revelation is real. It came from God. This isn't a book that was just people made up. Nobody just decided to write this. You can tell easily because the world is full of books that people decided to write and they all are idiocy compared to this book. And so he goes, no, this is special. There were people that God set aside to do this with an eternal purpose. And I think Peter had a sense, even as he was writing, I think this is something that's gonna last. I think this is important and I want people to know this. But the whole thing is all about God really has spoken, and we have his words. But God's speaking is intended to be obeyed by us as best we can, so that when life is working for us, we have a confirmation that, in fact, revelation and experience are confirming the validity of what he has said. And, and so... Peter is just wanting to drive that home, waking people up and reminding them and just going, you guys, please, with everything within me, I want you to understand, this is real. This is not a pretend religion. This is not a life where you fake it. There are eyewitnesses. It's all very real and very tangible and, and defensible. And yet, it'll only work if you do it. If you'll, if you'll follow the light that you have. And nothing but tragedy results when we have it all in our head, but it doesn't flow forth in our lives. If it's not working, you're doing something wrong. Not if it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. Not if it hurts. Not if you don't understand everything. Hey, we just have a little flashlight in a big dark cave. You're not supposed to see everything and know everything. And in fact, if all you do is wander off in the dark instead of following your light, you're going to have a bunch of problems and be really discouraged. But realize this, the day is coming when it will all make sense, but right now you need to walk in the light of what you have and take your present truth, take that understanding that you do have and, and start doing something about it instead of making up for a lack of quality by having a bunch of quantity. It's like a gambler who makes a bet and the bet doesn't go right and so they think, okay, I'll double up. I'll gamble even more and then more and more. So many businesses have failed that way because we somehow think that instead of taking a good idea and working on it, it'd be a lot easier to diversify and shoot in every direction at once. Very rarely does that work. Successful businesses happen when someone knows who they are and what they do, and they stick with that. And again, it's one of the reasons why I've kind of wanted to move away from the model of church, whereby it's like, we have something for everything, every fellowship, every outreach, everything, studies every night, all this stuff. You know what? 
when we start to live like what we see when we read scriptures, maybe we add some stuff. But most of us honestly are substituting the frustration that we have of not being able to live what God has told us by piling on. Maybe if I learn some more. Maybe I'll find another book that's going to unfold the mystery to me. Peter would just go, no, just, just dance. Just live the life. Just take the light that you have and be consistent with that. Quantity will never substitute for quality. In fact, quantity will almost always dilute quality. And, and so Peter's just going... This is why I'm harping on this, because what I'm talking to you about is not a myth. It's not a philosophy. It's reality. And it works when you're doing it right. When you're settling for simplicity and grace and beauty, and you're not just pushing yourself constantly and generating artificial energy and fake devotion so that at least you can make everybody think you're really spiritual. Peter's going, no, man, as I'm going on my exodus, I want to leave you with a reminder, and you won't be able to get away with it. They're going to stick it in your Bible, and you're going to be reading it for thousands of years if the Lord tarries. This is real. Live it real. That's, that's what I think he's sharing with us today. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for your scriptures. This concrete eyewitness carried along by God, breathed by you, revelation of truth. But Lord, I pray that we would never substitute a knowledge of information for a relationship with a living Lord. Help us to be faithful to following you one step at a time. Your timing, your grace, moving from faith to love and not rushing the process and not substituting artificial for real. Thank you for the reminder today that this is real. This is true. We're, based on, we're basing our lives on something that's worth dying for. We're basing our lives on that which is, is verifiable and historical. But Lord, help us to not add our idiocy to your truth. Help us not to spin it, twist it, push it, pull it, choose and pick whatever we want. Help us to look for your light and to simply follow that light. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.